Hello, I'm Katie Balls and welcome to a special episode of Women with Balls, sponsored by Lloyd's Banking Group. The pandemic has changed many aspects of our lives, but one of the biggest is the way we work. With 46% of people working from home last year and 86% of current home working emerging as a result of COVID-19. Even now, as the government's roadmap to ending lockdown is underway, it's unclear when that will mean a wide return to the office. And the government has promised a review into making flexible working a permanent feature of British working life. Perhaps no group has been more impacted by this than the young. Youth unemployment has risen by 13% since the pandemic began, leading some to call this batch of 16 to 24-year-olds the COVID generation. Meanwhile, there is an industry concern that the group most likely to suffer from working from home are those starting out, who could find it harder to learn from colleagues who appear remotely. As for graduates, they enter an overcrowded market. Almost one in eight recent graduates was unemployed in the third quarter of 2020. But at the same time, there are also opportunities. The ability to work from anywhere could allow companies to diversify their talent pool and help those at a disadvantage when it comes to being near any of the big cities. So, how can these problems be solved and could apprenticeships be part of the solution? Joining me to discuss this matter, we have Gillian Keegan, the Minister for Apprenticeships and Skills, Francis O'Grady, General Secretary at the TUC, and Michelle Blaney, Chief Culture and Talent Officer at Lloyd's Banking Group. So many thanks for joining me today, ladies. As mentioned in the introduction, the outlook for young people right now is challenging, I think to put it mildly. The IPPR think tank has said it's a grim picture for the economic prospects for young people. Francis, before we get into the specific schemes, how have the job prospects for young people changed in the past year from your perspective? Well, we know young people are facing a really tough future. We've seen employment fall off a cliff. Six in 10 job losses have been amongst young people. And we know that the scarring impact of unemployment can last for years. So it seems to the trade union movement that this generation has to be a real priority for us all. Uh, We need specific sector help from the government because young people tend to be concentrated in industries like hospitality and creative. So we need real industrial action policies for those areas. And of course, skills and learning and training are key. And again, you know, you can't do it on the cheap. We don't want Mickey Mouse schemes. We want real investment. And we know young people want that too. Michelle, it'd be good to hear the industry perspective on this. I mean, when it comes to, I suppose, the the jobs market young people are entering... Ultimately, I I mean, I suppose some would compare it in terms of difficulty to after the financial crisis when young people were coming up. How how do you see it? I completely agree. I mean, I think it's going to be really tough for young people coming into into any market. But I mean, I think, you know, as, as Francis pointed out, you know, there's certain sectors that are going to be, you know, more severely impacted by this. And and it, and it isn't just about them finding a role and uh, getting into work. It's actually how they're going to be joining work now, which is going to be completely different. You know, the other thing that I'm thoughtful of in our workplace is just the health and well-being of you know younger people as well. So there are a multitude of things that are you know, having a significant impact on them at the moment, and it is really tough. I mean, it's you know if I think about some of the the young people joining Lloyd's Banking Group at the moment. I mean, our graduates, for example they've come in completely virtually they haven't met anybody so just that in itself is completely completely different let alone the challenge of trying to find a role in the first place. Gillian I suppose just 
looking at slightly ahead, I mean, we've been hearing various economic forecasts, some saying actually quite a quick bounce back. So do you think there's a chance that this is quite temporary when it comes to, I suppose, the new working patterns and also that things could improve rather quickly? Well, they could, but we don't really know. So I guess I get up uh, every day planning as though it's not, you know, as though things aren't going to go easier than you would imagine. And that's because, you know, there has been a severe economic shock, not just in our country, but all around the world, highly unusual. Uh, That will affect employment figures. And any time there's any economic shock that affects employment figures, it always impacts youth employment more because people don't move around as much. They stick in their jobs and effectively the the openings don't uh, open up. You've also got on top of that what Francis said there, which is the sector aspect, the hospitality and retail sector, which has always been a big employer of young people and always given that sort of first step up or even just that first step up while you're considering what you want to do. You know, a lot of people work in cities, for example, to basically pay their way uh, while they're figuring out uh, what their full time employment options are. That has now gone and that is really going to be a difficult thing for for young people. So the, the key thing we're trying to do is obviously open up schools, colleges, universities. That was last week's task. And now the next is to open up the economy as soon as possible. And only then will we see how quickly we're going to bounce back. I know a lot of us have got, uh, you know, the sun shining and we can't wait to get out. But how that sort of follows through into employment is something we'll have to wait and see. And Michelle, you mentioned in your previous answer how working from home really does affect obviously all employees particularly new hires and there are signs that even if things do go better than some of us expect in terms of the recovery the working from home aspect is going to stay for some employees we're hearing of more and more companies that are downsizing getting rid of office space some media companies where actually you're not going to have an office anymore at all so what do you think this means for young people in terms of the challenges from that well it's a really great question and it's a really interesting challenge because I think I mean what we're seeing I mean, I think pre the pandemic, we had about 15,000 colleagues maybe that, you know, worked from home more regularly. Uh, We've now got 50,000 colleagues working from home and everybody's lived experience is very different. So, you know, working from home may be great if you've got a home office and you've got flexibility. But, you know, if you're in a bedroom, in a house share, off your ironing board, it's not such a great thing. And we've certainly seen that in our own colleagues who are, are quite frankly desperate to get back into some kind of workplace because, you know, they like the social interaction, they like the ability to to interact it's, it's how you build your career through relationships and stakeholder management and all those types of things that are really important so so I'm really thoughtful about what the future does look like and I think we're really thinking about that I have to say at Lloyd's in terms of I think there will be some kind of hybrid model but we need to just do some experimentation and see actually how that's going to work because whilst remote working is fantastic it offers flexibility and we're very positive about how we can utilize the technology uh, to make that easier we're also very thoughtful that actually it's not great for everybody um you know we've been providing things like you know well-being desks um during the pandemic for those people that just can't work from home or quite frankly find it very difficult you might be working and living in other different difficult type of circumstances as well so 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 i think it's going to be really interesting yeah francis yeah, I, I really agree with that. I mean, working from home isn't a picnic, especially if you're in not great accommodation and overcrowded and already feeling frustrated because young people need a social life too. So lockdown hasn't been easy. On the other hand, what we're hearing from young people in particular is that for the future, they want more freedom and positive flexibility, but they don't want to be forced to work from home 
100% and they don't want to be forced back into the workplace 100%. So they're looking for that flexibility. And we shouldn't forget, of course, that millions of young people have carried on working through this crisis. A lot of the people delivering parcels and food are young. And actually their issue is more about predictability of ships because people sometimes forget young people have their own kids too and if you don't know when you're going to be working or how much you're going to earn because you're on a zero hours contract or full self-employment that's really a big problem if you're trying to raise a young family too. Gillian a few points there from Francis to pick up but I I suppose just on the working from home one uh, I mean the government hasn't said when they will recommend all people return to offices. Obviously, to a degree, it's the choice of an employer to say if, if they think it's essential. But do you think we're going to have to get used to, I suppose, I hate to use the phrase, but a new normal when it comes to perhaps a more hybrid model? And how do you protect the interests of young people in that? Because it's easy to see what businesses get. They save loads of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, and to be honest, it, it's something that could have happened over the last 10 or 15 years. You know, it, it, in all the businesses I've worked in all parts of the world, the technology has been there. What the pandemic has forced is a cultural shift. And it's a cultural shift about trust as well, trusting whether people are actually working from home. And sometimes in my career, I've worked for very enlightened people who haven't minded where you were. And particularly in multinational companies, that's been going on for a long time. But I think this has now happened en masse. And with that comes, I think, what will be very welcome to all age groups, which is flexibility. But the flexibility, then the question comes, flexibility for who and at whose expense, as it were. I think there's no doubt with young people that building the social capital that you have in the workplace, all those experiences, you have to be in the workplace to some degree to do that. It cannot be completely replicated from your bedroom. You know, life cannot be replicated from your bedroom. So I think that's the most important thing. A number of employees I speak to are actually prioritising young people who are just on their graduate programmes or just starting their apprenticeships to actually be the first people to come back because you know I think about it now a lot of most of my friends are from people I met when I first started work in all places in, in various parts of the world and that's how you learn you learn from others as much as you learn from you know the actual task of doing so I think it's going to be very important but hopefully flexibility so we can all avoid getting on the same train at the same time in the same hour to get to the same place that would be fabulous if flexibility could become something that helps us have just more enjoyable work-life balances. Now, in a way, talking about whether or not someone should go into an office is, is a nice problem to have in the sense that it means you do have a job. Um, whereas one of the things we're talking about here is youth unemployment. And I want to talk about that and what government schemes and I suppose industry steps can be taken in, which can try and prevent that or make it less of an issue. Francis, you've said a generation of young workers must not be abandoned to mass unemployment. What steps do you think the government needs to take to, to make sure that doesn't happen? And are they taking it? You see, what I hear is a real hunger from young people themselves to get into work. People want to be able to earn a decent income and to get on in life. But I think there's a real issue about supply of good jobs in the parts of the country where they're needed most. And increasingly, of course, I think there's a a consensus we need more good green jobs in the parts of the country that need the most. So What I'm concerned about is what's happened to the government's industrial strategy. We saw the uh, Industrial Strategy Council scrapped. The old industrial policy itself has been replaced by something else. But I, I think not just unions, employers too, are wondering 
what the vision for this country post-Brexit is. Are we going to see the government stand by advanced manufacturing, which traditionally has provided some really good apprenticeship opportunities for young people? What is the plan for our creative industries? These are not zombie jobs. These, you know, in any civilised society, we want to see a thriving creative industry. And of course, on our high streets, how can we reimagine those in a way that provides young people with decent job opportunities? Because at the moment, what we're seeing is this revolving door of low paid, insecure work and then back into unemployment. And we've got to, I think, have a concerted effort by government unions and employers to make the difference that young people want to see. Gillian, do you want to come in on that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, no one's underestimating the size of this challenge, but we have uh, put a number of things in place already. and We will continue to work to put more and more things in place. Obviously, specifically addressing youth unemployment right away we've got things like the kickstart scheme which has actually you know we've got many many employees who've signed up for that but again that's been affected by the lockdown because many of those opportunities they have to wait to open up to be able to uh, take advantage of those we've also put in place quite an increase in something called traineeships which are like pre-apprenticeships we've also increased the amount of education places anticipating that some people may stay an extra year in the education system but apprenticeships we we today have nine and half thousand vacancies on the apprenticeship system all kinds and actually some great ones in the banking sector as well at all different levels so I often think that we're going to talk about the apprenticeship system but it's a fantastic way to find a secure way as a young person into a really high quality job opportunity and with career progression to get that structure of training as well and yet we still struggle to find I mean I tried to book my hairdressing appointment as they're all opening and the first thing the guy came back to my hairdresser said can you find me an apprentice I'm really struggling Uh, and I felt like I was bargaining for my slot but he you know this is this is something that more and more we do need to make sure that people are aware of these fantastic opportunities and I know we're going to go on to that but I think awareness is part of the problem nine and a half thousand high quality apprenticeships vacant today and yet we're sat here talking about youth unemployment and I bet many young people have no idea. Well, let's talk about apprenticeships. It's a nice lead on, thanks, Gillian. <laughs> because ultimately, we've heard a lot about the difficulties university students have. They're very unhappy working remotely, questioning really whether the tuition fees represent that. And apprenticeships clearly offer an alternative to that. But as Gillian has just touched on, they're not always seen as, I suppose, being equal to a university degree um, by those looking for, for further education. Michelle, you've sung the praises of the flexibility of apprenticeships in the past. Can you talk us through what I suppose an apprenticeship can offer to a young person? Oh, I mean, I am just like the number one fan of apprenticeships, I've got to say, I think they're absolutely fantastic. So um, I mean, I suppose just picking up on a point that Francis made, I think, you know, organisations have got a couple of roles here. So I mean, for us, obviously, we want to make sure that we're, we're bringing people in on apprenticeships, but also that we're using apprenticeships or facilitating apprenticeships to, you know, to reskill our existing colleagues as well. So I think that's fundamental. I talk a little bit more about that. But the other thing I think we've got a role to do is just thinking about industry and and you know Francis talked there about advanced manufacturing and one of the things that we do is 
we've committed ten million pounds over the next ten years to um, support the AMTC, which is the Advanced Manufacturing Training Centre in Coventry, and that's all about supporting apprenticeships, and that's looking to support you know three and a half thousand apprentices, which again I think you know we we recognise the fundamental importance of manufacturing in terms of the UK economy. So so we've got a role to play in terms of how we utilise our levy to support others as well as what we do internally. But as Gillian said, I mean, there's lots of really interesting ways to to utilise the apprenticeships within banking. And we've got a whole range in terms of different levels going right from level two, right up to level seven, you know, um, MBA programmes and everything in between. So um, we've got about 1800 colleagues on apprenticeships at the moment. You know, we had a target to get to 8,000 by 2020, which we smashed. I genuinely think they're fantastic, but I think they're also a very well kept secret. And I'm, I'm really thoughtful now as people are coming out of further education and thinking I do I really want to go to university might I do something different here's the opportunity to to think about apprenticeships um, because they're a great way to be learning and working and they don't need to, to you know to hold you back. Francis do you think apprenticeships get the hearing they deserve I suppose across the country? Clearly not enough I'm a big champion of apprenticeships too and you know that the Old, old idea in a way that there's a bargain that a young person goes on to an apprenticeship it might be lower pay to start with but they get time off the job to learn and to train and then if if they perform well no 100% guarantee but it's expected that they'll get a decent job at the end of it. I think the problem is that that contract has been broken. Again, we've seen this dramatic fall in apprenticeship places that happened before the pandemic and has obviously been even more problematic since the pandemic kicked in. And there's a real variation in the quality of apprenticeships. I know pay isn't the only story, but it's a pretty good indication of whether an employer is investing. So in areas like banking and manufacturing, uh, transport, we have some really high quality, decently paid apprenticeships with high quality learning off the job. In other areas, I think we would all accept that we've seen too many cases of people using apprenticeships as part of a payroll strategy because, of course, the minimum wage for an apprentice is very, very low indeed and with no commitment to keeping on that young person at all. So we have to drive out the bad apprenticeships and keep that quality up because that brand reputation is key not just for young people but for parents and families and teachers who can encourage young people onto them but we do have to do something about the volume just one other point I think you know I've long complained I'm afraid about what I see as a kind of snobbery between the academic and the vocational route I think we have made progress in breaking that down. I think many young people are attracted to the idea of earn while you learn, but there's still more to do on that front too. You know, we've got so many young people graduating from university feeling resentful, understandably, about fees, accommodation costs and debt. And if we can get the apprenticeship offer right and get enough of them, I think that provides a really high quality alternative. 
Let's talk about that snobbery, Gillian, because you are an apprentice, former, no more, now, now you're the minister for it. But ultimately, you started your career as an apprentice in Liverpool. Clearly, some time has passed, still very young. Um, but do you think there is a snobbery back then and is there still one today? You know, it, it's astonishing when I hear that because when I left school in the 80s, which was actually probably the last time there was mass youth unemployment in this country, and, and it, it was terrible. I mean, the opportunities were very, very, very low indeed. It was the golden ticket. Everybody thought it was the golden ticket. Now, maybe that's because I grew up in Knowsley and it was a different kind of, you know, from some of the some of the leafy uh, sort of corridors of uh, the quads in some of the universities, etc. But I, it, it, they are the, work, the best kept secret. From my own personal experience, I became a senior exec in businesses all over the world. And the graduates who joined the graduate programme at the same time never caught up with my career. Ever. And that is what people are finding more and more. You get a head start, actually, as a high, um, you know, as a sort of a degree apprentice, etc. So I think, and it's not only degree, there's, there's lots of level four, level five now. I think the first thing to do is make sure people are fully aware of what the apprenticeship system is, because there's a lot of ignorance. A lot of people think it's if you want to go and be a hairdresser or you want to be a trade, a bricklayer or whatever, then that's what your apprenticeships are for. You can now get to every single career that is available in this country via an apprenticeship at every level. 600 standards and just to address Francis's point the fall in numbers is because we have done a quality reset and we got rid of the the rubbish out of it which is why the numbers have fallen that was a very deliberate strategy because you're right the brand image of an apprenticeship we have to make sure it's a high quality brand because that's what the employers demand and it's all part of our skills for jobs white paper as well making sure that we have employer-led standards so that young people can study things that are really valuable that are going to kickstart their careers the last standard I signed off was a space engineer there is literally nowhere you cannot get to with an apprenticeship now that's something that I think most people are not aware of simply not aware of the huge opportunities that apprenticeships offer now Francis I'm going to come to you in one second but just before I do Michelle I I just wondered from I suppose the employer perspective how do you think apprenticeships are viewed as differently or are they viewed as differently from I suppose having a university degree and being a recent graduate because Francis talks about that snobbery and that definitely you do get that sense when you when you think about I suppose one of the sayings is you know parents like to talk about apprenticeships but they want their children to go to university do you think employers see it that way or or actually there's much more parity I think it's shifting I think um you know to Gillian's point I mean I, I you know they're definitely you know we shouldn't kid ourselves there is snobbery around this and there is also this sort of old-fashioned view about what apprentices really are and what they do and what they give you so I, I, we, we do need to keep working on that to disperse some of that but you know I mean you know I didn't go to university myself had to start working after my A-levels it was fantastic to come in and and, and do on-the-job training I, you know, I've done an apprenticeship in Lloyd's Banking Group myself as well and I've absolutely loved it but within that I mean we've got really key roles like our auditing teams where you know in the past we'd have expected a certain level of a degree now we're saying you know come in start at level four on an audit apprenticeship and we'll get you through to level seven so you can get your audit qualifications on the job now and and actually that is marvelous and is really being embraced in the teams so it's not a prerequisite you know that you've got to have gone to the right university and have got the right degree actually it's about people have got you know They've got the right attitude, they want to learn um, and they want to get going. And Gillian makes a really good point because actually you can sort of um, supercharge your career with that and you can outperform those that have, you know, spent the time going to university, notwithstanding the cost of that as well. So um, we just need to do more to tell the story, quite frankly. Francis? There are a couple of areas where I would like to see real ambition. So 
Um, the TUC set out a very detailed plan for green jobs and apprenticeships from transport to tech to broadband. You know, this is what, uh, and in, of course, in public services too, we could create good quality apprenticeship opportunities very quickly to do good work that needs to be done. The other area I would really like to see some ambition because I'm getting old now and it hasn't changed over all the years we've been campaigning for good apprenticeships is on opportunities for young women and young black people because there is a massive pay gap. The biggest gender pay gap is amongst apprentices and similarly young black and ethnic minority people seem to find it harder to get into those high reputation high quality big brand names that will set you up for life so I some companies we work with are absolutely brilliant and we've worked really closely through Union Learn in opening up more non-traditional opportunities and making sure that we get equality right but I think we need to spread that good practice much much further because you know it can't be right that there are so few young women who go into construction and engineering nowadays what's going on why can't we shift that and maybe it's another area where we need to get around the table and work together to do just that Michelle are you seeing those diversity issues that Francis talks about when you when I suppose you look across the industry well, well, absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean, we are massively committed to inclusivity. Um, I mean, we've obviously gone out with very, very public external goals around specifically around women, but obviously very much around ethnicity. And I know, you know, the events of last year have, you know, forced a lot of organisations to look closely at how they're staring at some of these challenges, just to make sure that they are you know, really building, you know, organisations that look like society. So yeah, this is an ongoing topic and one that we need to keep talking about. But we're doing an awful lot of work. We've got a race action plan, you know, within Lloyd's Banking Group to make sure that we can create that inclusivity as much as as much as possible. And we've done an awful lot around gender over the last few years, definitely. Now, Gillian, I might have to ask you later about the space internship. Uh, you can do it. Can it open, great, it open to everybody. <laughs> just before we get to that, I suppose that there's a big push. You also see it in the university sector to try and get more women doing STEM topics, yes. and that involves apprenticeships. So, how is that coming about? And what do you think the hurdles are? What? Why is it that there has to be this big push there? I think there's. I think people have out of date views about what careers are available in the workplace in the 21st century modern workplace that we have, and I think people assume certain sectors like construction they are you know, trades or whatever. If you look at the construction T-level we've just introduced, and we do have a few more girls doing that one actually as well, it's basically quantity surveying, architecture, planning, project management, site management. It's that all the jobs, pretty much any job you can get, you can get in any industry. And people don't really understand that. So there's a huge focus in the, the Skills for Jobs white paper on careers. And I think that's going to be really vital to open up everybody's ideas of what careers are. There's a high degree of technology available in almost all the jobs that you see nowadays as well in terms of diversity it's massively important it's also a huge social mobility driver my apprenticeship changed my life and I think apprenticeships often change people's lives we do have a huge focus we've got a BAME uh, apprenticeship um, network and you know they are they are actually making some inroads and they are tending to do more higher level but just not many people know about them as well just something Francis mentioned the green jobs task force we have that going right now it's going to be reported in May and one of Francis colleagues is on that so we are going to get some 
blueprint for us to start to work together on how we offer those opportunities, both to young people and to older people retraining. We've had 5 million apprentices trained since 2010, 50% men, 50% women, 50% young people, 50% older people. But in the sectors, probably not enough diversity. One last thing I'd say, what I'm seeing now more and more is degree graduates going on to do level four and level five apprenticeships afterwards to get into the workplace with a skill that's valued by the workplace. And many of them say to me, nobody told me. Nobody told me I could have avoided all that debt and I could have done this a different way. That gets us back to careers. Francis, I suppose if we're looking at the wider jobs market right now and some of the stats I was talking about earlier in terms of the quite grim outlook in a way for the younger generation, do you think there's something else here which is, Obviously, uh, you know, when you're young, you're encouraged to have these huge ambitions. But in terms of the short term, in terms of the jobs market, including apprenticeships, perhaps, people are just not going to be able to have their dream options straight away. Do, do you think we do have to take into account how, th- how things look realistically because of the pandemic or not? Well, one of the things that really grieves me is that we've got a generation that's pessimistic about its future. And I think that's a problem for the country, because if young people are pessimistic about the future, we should all be worried. I think we have to show ambition. We've seen it across the pond with Biden. We've seen it in other countries that actually it is possible to make choices in politics and in society that say this generation have had a rough deal through this pandemic and it's only right that as they've borne the brunt we are going to go that extra mile to make sure they get the jobs training and apprenticeship opportunities they deserve where they need them we could be investing much more ambitiously in job creation as well as job protection you know for every 13 places created through the kickstart scheme we've got nearly 300 young people being made unemployed every day so we've got a long way to catch up but they must be quality opportunities too again this this is about what kind of economy we want to create in order to fund our public services and deliver the growth and the living standards that people deserve. So I'd like to see a bit more willingness to sit around the table. We may not always agree, but unions, government, employers can work together on developing that green industrial strategy that will deliver a genuinely better future for young people that's not just better, but fairer too. Michelle, ultimately, when it comes to, I suppose, the workforce we're going to see from this younger generation, there's research out suggesting that 67% of young people believe the pandemic will have a long term effect on their mental health. So what measures do you think are going to be needed to be in place in terms of employers and workplace to adjust to that and the fact it is it could be quite hard work? I mean, I, I mean, we touched on it at the very beginning. I think, you know, mental health worries me considerably. And I think we cannot underestimate the significance on all of our mental health, but specifically on young people that this pandemic has, has definitely had. And I think, you know, as employers, we need to be really listening to what our young people need now. So we have to 
you know, systematically be offering fantastic health and well-being care. We need to understand what they're going through. And that, that ranges from everything in terms of some of the things we've talked about in terms of flexibility, in terms of the way they work, right through to applications like, I mean, we give everybody the Headspace app, for example, you know, just to try and create different types of opportunities, if you like, for people to think about and reframe um, their mental health. But, but fundamentally, we need to really listen to how they're feeling and be able to make sure that we're adjusting appropriately. Now, just just to end the podcast, I wanted to slightly turn it into a pop quiz and just ultimately ask each of you. I mean, I think what the panel all agree on is the fact that apprenticeships are a good thing and they can offer an opportunity, particularly if you think about some of the problems the pandemic has thrown up, people feeling very exasperated perhaps with their value for money on their degree. But as Gillian, you were talking about, there is a problem in uptake. So I'm going to ask each of you, if you could do one thing, anything, doesn't matter if you can't do it from where you're sitting right now, what would you do to improve, I suppose, the pitch for apprenticeships? Yeah, I will go first. Uh, slightly cheating because I've got two. First is to stop employers advertising degree essential on everything. It's lazy, get rid of it. The second is that every young person learns all about the range of apprenticeships and those routes into the empl- into various uh, levels of employment and various levels of structured training and education, including, as Michelle said, up to degree and master's levels. As as long as they know about it, they can make an informed choice. And and I just wondered, when you look at your Tory colleagues, how many of your Tory colleagues uh, have also done apprenticeships? Well, in the 2019 intake, loads of us, actually. I think that's been a big change in the Conservative Party, in the, you know, the new MPs that came in. I suddenly felt like there was quite a few of us. In fact, many more probably than any other parties now. Outnumbering Balliol. Um, Francis? <laughs> We're kidding ourselves if we think it's a problem of demand. There is a major problem of supply of high quality, decent apprenticeships that will go on to secure employment. I would really like to see a joined up policy from the government. So, for example, when the government suggests that we're going to shrink the army by 10,000 soldiers, that's a major problem for apprenticeships because the army is a key source of high quality ones in engineering and electronics and many other areas. We need that joined up policy in terms of what's the plan for the sectors that have been hardest hit where young people are most likely to work. Retail, hospitality, creative industries, we need a proper plan. And to do that, I think government has to be prepared to listen to other voices. Not all wisdom is in the boardroom. The shop floor has a perspective too. And if we get around the table and work together, I think we can do the right thing by this generation and give them the opportunities, my goodness me, they have earned. Michelle? I mean, obviously, you know, we're one of the largest private contributors to the apprenticeship levy. And what I'd love to see is an increase on the cap in terms of what employers, our levy funds, what we can do to be able to actually, you know, use those to support others. So I'm thinking specifically about SMEs here and being able to transfer some of our levy to be able to help some of those SMEs so that we can help them to create more opportunities for apprenticeships, I mean, you know, I mean, we, we operate within the cap. We, we do everything that we can at the moment. We'd love to be able to do more because we're not getting to utilise, you know, all of that levy at the moment. So, um, so yeah, that, that would be my, my magic wish. And there's tons of flexibilities, including that one being worked on right now, which will be available between now and August latest. So there's lots and lots of flexibility to make sure that we unlock that, which will also, to Francis's point, 
unlocked demand because the easier it is for small and medium-sized businesses to engage in the apprenticeship system, the more, because that's where most people actually work across the country. Absolutely. More, invest, more investment in further education, Gillian, as well. Absolutely. That's all part of the Skills for Jobs white paper, as you will have seen. So. And Union Learn, Gillian, Union Learn. <laughs> what a mistake <laughs> to cut, to cut a, such a successful programme. Because you broke my final word plan, Gillian, it means, do you have anything to reply to Frances on, on her point about the army and the cuts and what that's going to do for apprenticeships? Army, uh, the army is the one of the best place. Actually, I did my apprenticeship. Most of the lads in our school, if they got an apprenticeship, it was through the one of the, the army or the marines or, or, or uh, one of the forces. Uh, they're brilliant for apprenticeships. And actually, they're still growing. The whole defence sector is actually brilliant for apprenticeships. The cuts that they're talking about or the change in, in it will, will require a different set of apprenticeships. So, you know, there'll be lots of people who will be required to understand this technology that we're going to be utilising. So the things do move on, but I don't think it necessarily means that there won't be opportunities in the defence sector for some fabulous high quality apprenticeships. Because today, that, them plus the banking sector have got loads of very high quality apprenticeship offers that young people should look at. Those are American contracts, Gillian, not necessarily I think you're. I think you're here. missing some key um, uh, British suppliers that uh, that our strategies well, also let's, take let's account see of. That procurement program. Well, we all look forward to hearing more about the new military apprenticeships coming soon. Thank you, Gillian. Thank you, Francis, and thank you, Michelle.